you ever thought, what is a professional? Probably not. Here at the Professional by Choice podcast, we interview professionals of all types, C-suite executives, entrepreneurs, social workers, accountants, athletes, you name it. We get the privilege of hearing their stories and figuring out just what makes them a professional in their field. You're listening to the Professional by Choice podcast. And now, here's your host, Chris Molina. Today's guest is Nick Donardo. Um, Nick is a senior account manager with Piercing Learning Solutions, where he's responsible for new business development, prospecting, sales, and need analysis at the institutional level. He works with colleges and universities in the public and private sector to support development, design, and execution of new online programs. Nick is also the author of The Game of Adversity, which revolves around eight practices to turn life's toughest moments into your greatest opportunities. Along the same topic of adversity, Nick also has a podcast by the name of the Sweet Adversity Podcast. Nick's podcast aims to show that adversity is the catalyst for living a great life and accomplishing great things. Um, on top of all of that, Nick is a mentor and coach through the Social Enterprise Greenhouse. He's a founding board of trustee member of the Argosy Collegiate Charter School, and he's held multiple positions at various other organizations. Uh, Nick hails from Boston. He graduated from Wesleyan University with a bachelor's in economics, and he received a, a, his MBA from the University of Massachusetts. Nick, welcome to the PBC podcast, and thank you for joining us. Chris, today. thanks, thanks so much for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we're happy you're here. And um, before we dive in, just how was your day? My day was fantastic. My wife is uh, nine months pregnant. Do any time now? So, uh, oh man, the due date's actually tomorrow. So. We will uh, we will see. The baby doesn't seem like it's it's ready to ready to come yet, but uh, any day now. <laughs> so um, if this podcast just automatically stops, I don't know why. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Priority. <laughs> Can't blame you for that. Um, and before we jump into your story and the few topics that I want to cover, um, I'm just curious. Do you have any uh, current or upcoming projects or life events? Other than the baby that you're excited about? Got the baby. Uh, a lot of the work that I've been doing recently, you mentioned my uh, my full-time job in business development. I work for Pearson Education, but a lot of the work I've been focused on recently is um, the book's kind of taken on a life of its own, the game of adversity. I um, uh, had a lot of fun with it, been getting a great response, and I've developed this peak performance coaching business around uh, developing resilience in entrepreneurs and athletes, coaches, and uh been doing a bunch of workshops on different principles from the book and um, uh, taking on some coaching clients. So that's what I've been working on now, just a little side hustle. Oh, that's 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 great. Do you, are you um, specifically focused on anyone in the near future in between um, having a new baby? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so, so the individual coaching is, is done online. Um, you know, it's video conferencing typically. Okay. And we, we have a bunch of assessments and, and different different frameworks that we go through, uh, depending on the client, what their needs and wants are. So yeah, it's, uh, it's happening in between, uh, the baby, but we'll see how, how flexible things, things become <laughs> when the baby comes. Do you yeah, you might have to take a little break. I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. Chris, you, you mentioned you've been married for nine years. Do you have any, any little ones of your own? No, not yet. We're, we are planning though. So in, in about a year or so, we're going to stop practicing and start trying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. Well, yeah. Good luck with the process. Enjoy, enjoy the time with the wife. That's for sure. 
Absolutely. Um, and um, I, I wanted to ask you something because you mentioned a lot of things that you're excited about now. I had a um, pretty lengthy list uh, in your introduction and still when I was doing my research, you, there are still things that I could have added. So you, you, you've, you've had lots of positions. Um, you've, you've done lots of things. Along the way, when you think about the, the, the top-tier people, whenever you're thinking about success, whenever you're thinking about professionals that were around you, are there any common traits to these successful people? There are tons. So I've, I've been lucky enough, and in in, in just as you in, in your podcast, I've been lucky enough to have conversations with people across multiple disciplines um, who I really respect. And um, there are three... I would, I would say three common traits that I, I have noticed amongst these successful people. When you think when you okay. talk about professional, which is all about what your podcast is, I think about preparation. Um, okay. And uh, a lot of why I say preparation is so important is because it allows us to perform in big moments over the course of a long period of time. So I, I see sustained excellence as really what I'm looking for when I'm, when I'm thinking about success, and that can be excellence with your family. It can be excellence at work. It can be, it can be excellence um, in the military or athletics or whatever your pursuit is. But sure. to do that, um, you need to prepare and you need to take the time to do it. So things just don't happen um, you know, without that preparation. And I think of a quote from John Wooden, the legendary UCLA coach, um, which is, there's solace in preparation. And it, the luck is the residue of design, which is also uh, a quote by Branch Rickey, which I like those. Together. Yeah, which which to me tells me design is equivalent to careful planning and preparation. And it's not about improving your luck, but removing it from your performance equation. So and you can do that through careful, precise, deliberate practice and preparation. Absolutely. So that's, and- that's number one. Um, yeah, yeah, I I love that so much, especially talking about luck and and preparation because I think whenever we see and I did a podcast, a solo cast about this recently, talking about luck right. and the co- concept of luck because I think initially when you're growing up and maybe you don't see things um in a grander scale, you see people that are successful and you just think they're lucky when the amount of preparation and and experience that are that is behind that success really doesn't show. That's it, and you don't really you don't really see it ever. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is morning rituals. Uh, everybody that, that I've talked to, and, and all the conversations that I've also heard, um, just in my in my research, leads to a very precise thirty to forty minute ritual in the morning that jump starts your day and gets you into a routine that allows you to produce what you want to produce that day and allows you to be flexible later on and more creative. So one of the books that um, I always recommend when you're thinking about rituals and what your ritual is going to be, because it may be different than somebody else you respect because you're a different person. You have different things that pull at you day to day, uh, hour by hour. The one book that I recommend is this this book by Mason Curry called Daily Rituals, which is really, um, it's a book about, he's, he's, kind of pulled and curated 161 different inspiring people, whether or not they be uh, novelists, poets, playwrights, philosophers, mathematicians, all these people from, from kind of the arts and science areas. And what he talks about is he, he, he pretty much opens up the, the book to all of their morning rituals. And what you see is not consistencies, but differences in their rituals, okay. which tells me... Um, 
and, and takes a lot of pressure off of people when they think about developing their own morning habits and rituals because a lot of times you try and replicate what somebody else can do, but when you see what other successful people are doing and how different they are, um, you know that you can develop your own type of practice. So, for example, um, you have a guy like Ernest Hemingway in this book, you know, wakes up at 9 or 10 in the morning where somebody else may wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning and have a different set of rituals or somebody starts their work at 2 to 3 p.m. So there's, there's, sure. there's different ways to be successful in whatever way you, you define that. Awesome. Love it. Cool. Um, and the last one is it has to do with adversity. So um, one of the things that I've been exploring through my podcast is really uh, the difference between high achievers and the average has to do with how we identify and use adversity to our advantage. So we all have this consistent thread of adversity, struggle, obstacles, whether or not they're big or small, day to day or throughout the course of our lives. And mm -hmm. the average person um, either ignores it or tries to avoid those things in response to those uh, adversity moments where the high achievers consistently uh, use those moments, are aware of those moments, and use that to their advantage as okay. uh, learning moments rather than just kind of things that happen in your life, these bad things. And um, to me, that over time, that lends just tremendous benefits. You're able to take all of those different moments because they happen consistently through our lives that sure. I think are really, really important. Yeah, I think uh, th those are awesome things, and, and some maybe that uh, you don't hear that much whenever people are talking about successful people, which I, I love because um, I just I love different things. It can If you're in the realm of wanting to be successful and you're reading um, all these books about personal development, you sometimes see common threads and you get hit over the head over and over with the same thing. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. The rituals, the adversity, the preparation. Um, and, and your last one kind of um, springboards into what I mainly want to talk about um, today with you, and that's adversity. Because from the title of your book to the title of your podcast, uh, adversity is obviously something that you're, you're very passionate about. Um, can you tell us... Um, how you came to this this topic and and why it's so important to you? Yeah, so the topic is personal to me, um, and it took me a while to really uh, kind of want to share my own story of why it's so impactful and so meaningful to me. So when I grew up, uh, grew up pretty middle class background, grew up in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, kind of blue collar, regular middle class town. Parents mm -hmm. were married, younger brother. You know, 3,000 square foot house. Dad had his own uh, business. He was an entrepreneur. Um, and within months, um, you know, when I was seven or eight, my mother had a bipolar episode, ended up um, in a mental hospital. My dad had lost his job. We lost the house. And um, it all changed in an instant. Sure. And I just remember when my mother... Um, when my mother ended up out of the hospital, she worked really hard and she continues to work really hard with, with her, with her illness. Um, we ended up living in a, a shared kind of apartment complex with 17 other families. We had this 400 square foot room. That was just kind of one room. And, um, my brother and I had to switch. Uh, we had one bed. So sometimes I would sleep on the floor at eight years old. Sometimes sure. my brother would sleep on the floor, and uh, <laughs> we had to share a kitchen 
with these 17 other families. And I just remember saying to myself at eight, this can't be the way, I mean, life is supposed to be for us. And that was the first kind of question, the first kind of okay. good question that I asked myself. And from then on, I started to look for these examples, these models. And it was through sports for me um, where okay. I kind of looked for these models of um, other people who had struggle and how mm-hmm. they had responded and done things of substance of meaning. And to me, that kind of showed, it, showed itself a couple of years ago when I, um, when I decided I was going to write this book. And then sure. uh, from there, uh, people resonated with the story. And now I've, uh, you know, I've, I've hopefully got uh, you know, a, a business to, to build from it. So yeah, uh, yeah um, it's a personal story for me. So when you talk about adversity, for you, the way it started was you had personal adversity and, and, and you were interested in how others had personal adversity, got through it and was able to um, um, get out of that and, and go into different disciplines and be successful. That's right. Basically. Exactly. So so I wanted to explore whether or not there was a, there was a common thread there. And okay. I think it wasn't in the... Uh, difficulty like it a lot of people will compare okay well uh, you had to deal with cancer at 12 years old so my what I've gone through is not anywhere close to that well it's not about comparing it's just about how you identify it learn from it whatever you go through and how you respond and then make an impact from there sure um and maybe since you've uh you've gone so deep into adversity that you can you can answer this question because Going deep into something and specializing in something, I've learned that the deeper you get into, let's say, a word like adversity, the almost harder it is to define. Whenever you just use a word in your vocabulary daily or or weekly, it's kind of easy to attach a meaning to it. Do you have a, a, a certain definition of what adversity is? That's a really great question. So when you look in the dictionary, the first thing I did was look in the dictionary. And... <laughs> Um, when you look in the dictionary, I actually have it right in front of me, you, you notice two different definitions. Adverse fortune or fate, a condition marked by misfortune, calamity, or distress, or an adverse or unfortunate event or circumstance. So, okay. uh, I mean, Chris, I, I'd like to ask you, your, I mean, what, what do you get out of those two definitions I get? Like, uh, is it positive? Is it negative? What, what, what sort of information do you get from them? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the knee-jerk reaction, if you understand uh, the first couple words, it talks about adverse. Yep. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's, for me, it's not something that you want to happen. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. if, you look at, if you look at that definition, it's, it's negative uh, sure. for me. It, I mean, the synonyms there, catastrophe, disaster, mm-hmm. trouble, misery. Also see, quote unquote, affliction. So we're essentially trained to view adversity as something to avoid. Then, okay. then in school, we're also taught to, to avoid it because uh, we don't want to get bad grades. We're only, um, we're only given positive reinforcement when we get uh, you know, positive grades. We're, we're, we're taught to kind of avoid failure, avoid struggle. Uh, mm-hmm. Our parents try and shield us from, from uh, struggle for the most part. So adversity to me... Um, is is personal. It's a um, it's struggle in however you define it on a day to day basis. Um, and adversity means resilience to me. So so I kind of look at the two words adversity and resilience, and they go together okay. because you need that moment to become resilient. 
Um, so I don't have a definition, but I just kind of sure. put those two words together. Hopefully that answers no, your question. I love um, the kind of way that you put it because my 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 next question that uh, just popped in my head was uh, um, try, if you're trying to change the way that people look at adversity, and it seems like the inherent answer is yes because even though the word adversity is everything that we just talked about, it's it's really negative. Um, in a way, the word in itself has the person still surviving at the outcome of the adversity. Mm. Because if it, if adversity was an endpoint, if you failed and you didn't get past it, I don't think that's adversity. That's not going through something. That's stopping. Right. So I absolutely love it. Or, or in your book and and along the the um, the journey that you've had with um, um, talking about adversity. Ha- Oh, do you have any tips for people to change the way that they look at it? Because I think you're right. Inherently, for your loved ones, you don't want them to go through hard times. Right. It, it is. It's very difficult. I actually think about it a lot now that I've got uh, my first kid coming because mm-hmm. um, it is a natural reaction to be protective. But how do you um, how do you how do you lead um, you know your child? And also allow them to make mistakes, to see struggle, and um, to identify with it in the right way, so that you teach them um, how to be resilient. Without, but, but you also want to give them a, a good, solid life and, and framework, right? Sure. So, so I, I kind of battle those two things because um, you look at, you know, Walter Payton and his and his son. I mean, his son never ended up being the athlete that Walter was. Probably sure. because, not because of his, uh, his athleticism. He had that in spades, but he didn't go through what Walter Payton went through, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you see that consistently in athletes, and, and, and you see that in second-generation entrepreneurs, too. Um, a lot of times, second-generation businesses fail because they, don't, they didn't go through the struggle to build that business like the, like, <laughs> like the father did or the mother. So sure. um, to me, you asked, how do we develop that? It starts with mindset for me. Um, okay. That is the first and foremost thing. Uh, are you familiar with Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset at all? I've heard the the term growth mindset a, a lot. Yeah, so she's the one who coined that. So she is a psychology professor at Stanford University. She wrote a book called Mindset, which is kind of the accumulation of all of her uh, work over the last 35 years on it. Okay. And she, uh, what she did was she had uh, a study performed uh, longitudinally, essentially, she did it over the course of many, many years, and she would set up um, an assessment for kids. She had kids, I believe, it was fifth or sixth grade, and okay. kids would take this assessment. And what she noticed was very, very clear. It's black and white that some kids would go through that assessment and they would take it. They would try it again, they would get really frustrated with themselves, and they said, uh, I'm not good enough to get this done, uh, and then they would stop, and they would, uh, they would, they would feel worthless uh, okay. for not being able to be successful at this assessment. Then another set of kids, the exact same study, would attempt to do the assessment. They would struggle with it. They would ask questions of the facilitator. They would say, maybe there's another way that I can approach this, maybe the next time. Um, I'll get better at doing it. And eventually they would continue to do it. They would take it as a learning opportunity and they would succeed and they would persist 
through that assessment. So what she, what she saw was there was two different groups. One was a group of fixed mindset people. One was okay. a group of growth mindset people. The fixed mindset kids felt that intelligence was static, that okay. it leads to a desire to look smart and therefore a tendency to, uh, you know, just, you know, just leverage your intelligence, your innate skill. And then the growth sure. mindset people look at things like intelligence can be developed. So if we break that down a little bit, when we see a challenge, the fixed mindset group would avoid those challenges, while okay. the growth mindset group would embrace the challenges. When we look at effort, the fixed mindset group would see effort as fruitless or uh, not worth pursuing, when the growth mindset uh, folks would see effort as the path to mastery. And that goes on and on. We can talk about that with looking at the success of others, obstacles, sure. all that sort of stuff. And she saw the consistency, not only in just those, those young kids, but she started to do it with adults. She started doing it with different disciplines, athletes, people in theater, arts, business people, all this sort of stuff. And she saw the same common thread. So, <laughs> so uh, the most important part of her research is that if you have a fixed mindset, you can develop a growth mindset, okay. uh, which to me is just essential to think about because uh, number one is, is saying, okay, great, I have a fixed mindset or growth mindset. What the heck do I do with that? Um, mm -hmm. Well, you may have a growth mindset in one area of your life, but you may have a fixed mindset in others. And I, I, can, sure. I can see that in my life, you know, where obviously you and I are podcasters. We're obviously looking to learn and grow as, as human beings, but there's sure. other areas where I'm very stubborn, you know, about certain sure. things. I need to open up my mind in those areas. So what I would suggest in knowing that, and if you believe in what I have to say about kind of mindset being this framework or keystone habit, the one thing I tell people um, in the book is um, give yourself some small wins. So the, the way to give yourself a small win in, in getting to a growth mindset, or let's say you have, you obviously think that mindset is important. And you want to grow it or, or practice, develop a practice that gets you there. Um, I would say, uh, everybody's got a, a mobile phone now. Um, sure. If you have an iPhone like I do, you have a voice memo app on this phone. Mm -hmm. um, if you have an Android, there are some downloadable apps that you can get that are kind of voice memo apps. So what I would mm -hmm. say is um, I, would, I would record yourself each day at the end of your day, your work day, or um, if you're an athlete after your practices or something like that, at mm -hmm. the end of it, and record yourself for a minute, two minutes, talking about your day, the positives and negatives, just kind of a verbal summary of your day. And what this is is really um, your, it's really giving you a self-awareness of your uh, explanatory style, which is something that Martin Seligman talks, talks about in his work in positive psychology. He's kind of okay. a master of positive psychology coming out of the University of Pennsylvania. And mm -hmm. when you are self-aware of your explanatory style, you can make changes just like you would um, as a marine like you were chris and if, sure. if you had if you struggled one day you know exactly what you need improvement on you can work on that for the next day uh in athletics sure. same type of thing um so over the course of a week i would say do that don't listen don't listen to them until the week is up and at the end of the week listen to all of your recordings and sure take a notepad out and just make some notes okay man i was having i was struggling that day i have some some really negative um, responses to that day. What could I do if that came up again for me? What could I do to resp respond to that in a much more positive and productive way? 
And then the next, you know, you you look at the next day and you say, okay, well, you know, I did pretty well that day. How do I reinforce that so I can do that more consistently? So what you're doing is you're just practicing. You're just Mm -hmm. getting more reps in and just kind of listening to yourself and the way that you respond to things. So that's what I would say if if somebody's trying to trying to get some small wins, Mm -hmm. record yourself, just record yourself and, and, and respond. I think that's that's really interesting, and one thing that I, I, I would find fascinating would be to see how many people are surprised by the language that they use mm-hmm. every single day in their head, whether they're pleasantly surprised at how optimistic they are or if they're um, not so happy about how negative they sound. Yeah, and and just changing the language that you that your brain talks in, I, I think can help tons yeah you're 100 percent right it's it's mental fitness right i mean it's like you know yeah i can do i can do 20 reps of you know bench press here of, of 225 pounds and then you go and actually do it you're like wow, wow man i'm at i'm at 10 so how do i get to 20 is is 20 my goal yeah. then what do you what do you have to do you have to probably set some sort of plan in place the next you know over the course of the next month to hopefully get to that goal or strive towards it so same yep. thing with mental fitness absolutely yep and and you can you can um, extrapolate that to pretty much anything, I think. Um, through y- your research and, and diving into um, this topic, have you found that there are any types of adversity that aren't beneficial? Oof, that's a really good question. Um, I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say it comes down to the moment. Um, I, I, w- I would okay. say... Um, it is all in the way that we process it. So Tim Kite, this um, he's a performance coach who has worked with. Uh, are you a sports fan, Chris? Absolutely. Cool. So Tim Kite worked with the uh, 2015 national champion uh, Ohio State Buckeyes football team, and he, okay. and he um, specifically caught on with with Urban Meyer. But he has a heuristic that he uses. That I just think is so simple and so smart, and it's sure. E plus R equals O. So what he says is event plus response equals outcome. And he says you can't control the event, you can't control the outcome, but you can control the response. So so when I think of your question about, okay, what mm-hmm. types of adversity are good and what types may not be good, I just think uh, it's not about the event, which is the adversity moment. It's about sure. how we respond to it. So uh, obviously... You know, my, my, so here's an example. Tell me yeah. if I'm talking too much about this. No, not at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> my, my father passed away uh, 2009, and I'm sorry I, to hear that. I would say, well, thank you. But um, he, um, nobody would say that you would want that to happen to anybody, right? But sure. but at the same time, it did it did provide uh, an opportunity for me to grow in different areas that I never even thought of. So you can kind of turn that around and. And that may take you a little while to be able to articulate, but um, even those really, really difficult moments end up being learning opportunities over time. Yeah, I, I, I think this topic is so, so interesting um, because you can come at it from so many different angles. Yeah. And, and for the five minutes that we spoke before we started this podcast, um, I, I told you that uh, I love this topic because I don't hear that many people talking about it. And and since there's not that much conversation other than than yours and maybe a couple other people, um, there are a lot of angles that you can come at it that that aren't uh, that haven't been 
spoken to, I guess you could say. It's a great point. I mean, it's funny. Since I've really dove into the neuroscience, the psychology of it, talking to these practitioners about it, um, you start to seek you start to see the conversation happening, but nobody talks about it in the same uh, in, in the same frame of mind as, as you know talking about it as adversity. They talk about the moments, but it's like, well, that's their that's the big adversity moment that I'm talking about. <laughs> but they they don't look at it that way. They kind of gloss over it, um, which is what you were talking about before. Is you see these a lot of successful people, and you see the success, but you don't see the work, the grit, the struggle that they had prior to it. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I, uh, again, I, I I think that uh, I, I'm going to schedule another time to speak with you in the future, probably when uh, your wife's not due, and uh, we can dive pretty deep into um, into adversity for professionals and maybe a couple topics about it because I think we're 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 just tough at touching the surface, and um, and especially after I read your book, I, I would love to have you back on. Happy to always have a conversation, Chris. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Um, so if there are listeners that would like to um, follow what you're doing, what you're saying, um, follow your podcast, uh, check out your website, how can they do that? Yeah, they can check out nickdenardo.com that has um, that has the podcast episodes right on the website. There's a blog there. Um, my services, the performance coaching services. The podcast can be found at Sweet Adversity Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, um, all those different outlets, but uh, happy to have the conversation, and um, uh, yeah, it's it, it continues to be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and so, are, is there anything that you would like to leave with the listeners? You know, I, I guess I would just say own own your story um, in whatever in whatever uh, whatever you define success as, whatever is important to you. I would just say own your story really look back and see what has defined you as a person and who you want to become and own it and be vulnerable talk about it and uh, I, I guarantee it would be it, it will be uh, really important to, to to the people you're trying to impact and I mean the same goes for you Chris I mean you're doing it right now right, right? I mean you've Thank um, you. I mean spent nine years in the Marines you're here you're talking to people um, you're trying to make such an impact and uh, I think that's what it's all about I think more people have to do it yeah, I think you, you, you share the same affliction. Uh, I, I'm going to jump out on the ledge and say you probably don't have that much leisure time like I do since I have a full-time job before I'm doing this, but do, it seems like we're doing what we love. That's right, man. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, if you haven't heard uh, my any of my podcasts before, I always end my podcast with some offbeat questions. Love it. So... Um, these these questions that um, I got for you are definitely not one word answer. Um, so if you have a short story that answers it or that is connected with it, feel free. All right, sounds good. Um, so on your website, you say that you're an aspiring fiction writer. What kind of fiction writer would you be? Ah, so you've done your research. I like it. I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I like coming of age uh, novels. So one of my favorites is To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. And, uh, by Harper Lee, and um, that's the type of story that that I would love to tell. I have a couple of ideas. I have not, um, sadly, I have not, uh, I have not delved into it and, and really tried to outline it and, and make it work. But 
you're you're busy guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, you gotta you gotta prioritize a little bit, and that's just not one of them yet. But uh, I will. I guarantee I'll, I'll get a book, a fiction book, written. Hopefully, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will be. Um, you you also said that you're an entrepreneur who has failed many times. What is one of those fails that you thought you were going all right and you just fell flat on your face? Oh my God, so many. Um, <laughs> uh, here's here's one. The first business that I tried to to uh, to start uh, back in 2010. I left my job at a six figure income. Uh, you know, they they gave me a car and a, a bonus, uh, an annual bonus, and I decided to leave with a buddy of mine. We bootstrapped it, put in 15 grand of our own money each, and we ended sure. up starting the business um, very naively. It was probably one of the best learning experiences I've had. But at the time. Um, we ended up, you know, going out of business in about 10, 11 months, long sales cycles in the business we chose and, um, oh, it just, it didn't work out. And, uh, I, I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. I was like, man, how am I going to, oh, how am I going to get back on my feet? I, I was just about to get married to, to my wife and, um, sure. I just didn't think I was going to get out of it, but, um, you, you do, you figure out ways, um, you, you, you leverage a lot of the relationships that you've made, the authentic relationships that you made and, um, and you, and you get back out of it, and once you do, you're stronger for it. Yeah, um, love that story. Um, top three, because you say you're a sports fan, what are your top three favorite college sports teams? Oh, my God. Um, it's funny. I don't have any – so I don't have any allegiance in college sports because I, I'm not a Boston College fan at all. I just okay. cannot stand Boston College for some <laughs> odd reason. But I so growing up I used to love the Nebraska Cornhuskers football team. They were just like in the okay. middle like the mid nineties. They were just a powerhouse. Sure. Um now I would have to say whew, um I do love the Stanford Cardinal football team. Um okay. I just like their approach. Um love the coach, love their their philosophy. I love um uh, Nick Saban and the uh, Crimson Tide. I just okay. uh, his yeah. focus on process over outcome mimics a lot of what Bill Belichick does uh, with the Patriots, who I just highly, highly respect. And, and is it is it because he's an, also an econ major? <laughs> you got you got you got <laughs> Wesleyan too. He went, to, he went to my alma mater, so so that that helps. But um, there you go. those are those are two. And then I'm trying to think of other sports in college. Um, maybe in basketball, man. Hmm. What am I gonna go with? Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I like USC. I, I lived in uh, Los Angeles for a couple of years, so so I do like USC athletics, basketball, football. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah, rounded it out there. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite whiskey? Ooh. Oh man. Um, let's see here. There are so many. I've just started getting into bourbons. A lot, but okay. I think I still gotta go with a Scotch. I would, I would go with, with a Macallan. Go okay. with a Macallan twelve is what I get a lot, but if somebody else is paying, I may go with something with an eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Least favorite whiskey. Doers. <laughs> you didn't have to think about that one. <laughs> no. Do you, do you drink whiskey at all? No, um, I've I've also just um, barely gotten into it, and um, it's on my wish list for um, on Amazon.com right now to have a a a nice mixer set and also a book that'll tell me how the heck to make good drinks. Nice. So, 
I'm 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 getting there. I, I I haven't started yet though. Nice man. Yeah, stay away from the doers. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about morning rituals. What is your morning ritual? Yeah, so my morning ritual has been a little jacked up recently. But when I'm going yeah. well, um, and I I admit sometimes I struggle with it. But when I'm going well, um, I do try and drink um, a full glass, a twenty ounce glass of of water to wake me up. In the morning, okay. Uh, wash my face. Uh, potentially, I will do uh, morning pages, so I'll try and write 500 words oh, in the morning it. to get me going. And it does, and I don't put pressure on myself as to what the content is. I just want to write what I'm thinking about, what is to me, what I'm struggling with, what's exciting me at that point. Um, I'll make myself a cup of coffee, and from there, I will kind of get moving with my day. That's typically my 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 first 30 minutes of my day. I have thought about. I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he talks a lot about uh, meditation. So I have thought about implementing sure. kind of a 10-minute meditation practice in the morning too. But um, mm-hmm. that's that's what I'm uh, doing right now. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've thought about uh, putting that meditation in the middle of my day, as close to the middle as I can, because at, right now I work in a factory, so I can't yeah. just say, "Hey guys, shut down the line real quick. I want to <laughs> be quiet by myself." Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just stopping that current that we're all in because you, you you keep on going on the path and you make a you, you almost make a rut for yourself. I think sometimes so being able to just stop all that. Yeah, and instead of just reacting to the whole day, you just kind of set the yeah. intent. If I if I do my first thirty thirty minutes to an hour on my time, what I want to do, then it sets the intent for the rest of the day. There you go. All right, last question. So uh, we mentioned a couple times you're soon to be father. Can you describe the feeling of being a soon-to-be father in one word? Excited nervousness. <laughs> I, guess, I guess when you're you're an author, you can just make up words, right? <laughs> no, it's mostly excitement. I mean, it's not. I mean, I, I, a lot of people are trying to make me nervous, but it's mostly just the I'm just excited. I just uh, I'm excited to learn about what it takes to to be a great dad, to be a great husband, and um, you know develop some some routines that are gonna help this kid grow up strong. There you go. And and Nick, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it, and I appreciate your time even more knowing that your due date is tomorrow. I appreciate Absolutely, it. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for all you're doing. It's uh, it's meaningful work, and uh, and excited to continue the conversation, man. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this PBC podcast. If you liked what you heard, leave a review for future listeners and let us know what you thought of this episode. We would love to hear from you. You can also head over to professionalbychoice.com to be kept up to date on our new episodes released every Monday. The ball is now in your court. How are you choosing to be a better professional each day?